That is Beard, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Jan Dekel. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And you know, Alex, I read this week an article in Israel uh, written by a mom. She wrote about this notion that uh, parents tend to talk about their kids as if they're bothering them all the time, like complain about them. That's outrageous. I've never done that all um, the time. And, uh, you know, and I sin, I, it's a sin. Yeah. I, I'm telling you because it's it's kind of uh, the way that she put it it's kind of a, like it's very sad she writes uh, it seems that sometimes in a race for a career the high availability that is required at work and the mobile device close to us the children get lost and become a byproduct that disturbs and that is sad But- I read it and I just had to really finish reading it and go to my kids and hug them and play with them for a while because I sin I sin with that I, I yes do that. you do you you sin more than I do and yet I do too and in the broad swath of life the idea that we miss out on opportunities to enjoy our children um, is a sin it's it's terrible you know on the other hand we're human beings for God's sake and the timing for this is excellent because our children's school is closed today why <laughs> because it's Wednesday and Who the hell knows why? It's parental rectal probe day. I don't know, but it's closed. And that means that we are both trying to do our jobs. Oh, record a podcast. And <laughs> our kids are running around like lunatics. So look, I think we need to forgive ourselves the fact that we live multiple lives. We've talked on this podcast many times about the idea that we're not just fathers. We're also gay men and men and in my husband's case, Kylie Minogue fans. And like these things can't all live at the same time. And it's okay to complain. I agree with you 100 percent. It's just that you know sometimes when you read it and it's like right in front of you and you say to yourself, "Oh my God, like yeah. we wanted these kids so much. It took so long for us to have them, and now that we're, we're having them, we're like complaining about them. I know so I know it's like um, it's a paradox. It's a paradox, but you know about. what? We have to live with the paradox. Um, I want to uh, so another mom, let's go to another mom. Um, uh, it went viral this week. A note that she left her son. Yeah. In the kitchen. Yeah. I don't know where she goes. She went to work and she said, she writes, today's Wi-Fi password, she changed the password. Today's Wi-Fi password can be unlocked by texting a photo of a clean kitchen to mom. <gasps> Photograph must contain one box of crackers on the counter by the stove oh my God. to prevent reusing a previous photo. May the odds ever be in your favor. <laughs> Love, mom. Okay. She is the best mother ever. Thank Ever. you for playing, she writes. <laughs> That's inspiring. That is so excellent. Oh my God, I love that. I love that idea, and I actually think that it can be expanded. Uh, there are lots of ways that you can sort of use a proof system in order to... Oh, I love this. <laughs> my, our poor children are about to suffer <laughs> such outrage. Oh, well. Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads podcast. Today, we're going to talk about throuples. Oh, boy. This is good stuff. It really is good stuff. I know. You know, I, I wanted to cover this for a long time. Originally, it was proposed, but one of, 
one of you, our listeners. Um, but I, I don't know, we never got to really uncover it properly. This is something that I feel that I see more of. I don't know if it's because we live in LA and now everybody's in a throuple. <laughs> Everybody um, is not in a throuple, but, but go on. But I hear a lot of that and I really wanted to tackle it in a, in a really meaningful way. Yeah. And I hope we, we did that. So we have this throuple, uh, Ian, Alan and Jeremy. This is the throuple who fought for all three parents to be to be on the birth certificate of their daughter mm-hmm. um, and now they released a book uh, it's actually Ian's book it's called three men and a baby um, and in order to understand the the full meaning of what it means to be in a throuple and, and what it means to raise kids as a, as a throuple we need to have all three together yeah so we did that and we went to their house in San Diego we made it a little family trip uh, we also got a free ticket to the zoo. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah. Right. And I, what I really wanted to get out of this interview is for anybody of you who are thinking about becoming a throuple or are starting or it happened to you. So what makes it work? Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's what I wanted to figure out uh, with this interview. I would hope that more than that, it's not just about, hey, considering a throuple. It's also, I think that all of us, come on, all of us have points of view about these very alternative types of families and relationships. And I, I think that what's so special is as gay men, we think of ourselves as well, we're necessarily open-minded because we're gay. Not so, right? Because every new uh, uh, as yet unexperienced form of connection between people can be something there where you have prejudices about it. Before you go in, before you understand it, you say, oh, well, yeah, but that's going to be like X, Y, and Z. And before you've gotten to know the people and understood the scenario, you don't know. I didn't. Yeah, so let's uh, let's go to the interview. Um, you're gonna hear a lot of our kids in the background. Uh, ben was extremely loud that day. I don't know what happened. As opposed to every other day. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, yeah, we had a little play that uh, uh, down downstairs at the at the TV room. Um, but still, you can hear it. I, I mean, I'm sorry. About the that. kid's so, voice carries. So let's go to the interview All with right. uh, Ian, Alan, and Jeremy. Hi, guys. We have uh, Ian, Alan, and Jeremy with us. Hi. Greetings. Oh, yeah. Let's just introduce you very briefly. There's three of you. I want our listeners to recognize your voices. Sure. My name is Ian. Uh, I'm a hospital doctor in San Diego and uh, dad of two amazing kids and partner of two amazing partners and want to be writer, I guess. Ooh. Alan. My name is Alan. I'm a psychiatrist. I've been with Ian for 19 years and we've been with Jeremy for 10 years. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm a zookeeper at the San Diego Zoo. Look, we, we all know it's, it's, it's just hanging in the air. The zookeeper thing is incredibly cool, and it's no totally offense for the other two, but like, oh my God, it's a different podcast episode. Uh, so, okay, okay, so I want to start with, um, with the stigma. So I want to hear from you guys. What do you think, like, what are the reactions that you get from people about your relationship and is there a way that you can handle it or, or say something that people think about it that it's not, if you know what I'm saying? Um, I think that we're lucky that we live in a bubble of Southern California. So we have not really experienced significant stigma as in regards to our relationship. I had, I had some hurdles with my own family, which I'm sure we'll get to later. But, um, you know, in general, I have reached a point in my life, and I think all of us have, where we, of a certain age... 
this is who we are, take it or leave it. And, you know, everyone that's around us really takes it. I, I'm sure that there's lots of questioning behind our backs, but <laughs> into our face, uh, to our face, everyone's actually just kind of taking it in stride. And I make a point when I meet new people, if I, if we have a new coworker that comes in, I'll like pretty early on in our, in them starting at the zoo, I'll say like, Oh, Hey, just so you know, I have two partners. Uh, so if you're, if we're talking about our home lives, I don't want you to sit there so and be like, like, what's coming going on? Out, right? yeah, I Definitely. do it. I do it constantly at all times. Yeah. You know, there are those standard questions that people ask gay men or that people ask gay dads that you're like, wait, really? The, this is a question that you're asking. Are there any of these questions that are really common that people ask you where you say, huh, well, all right, I'll explain it to you, but it seems pretty obvious to me. Where does everyone sleep? Yeah, where, does, where do you sleep? <laughs> everyone wants to know that. I think it's just curiosity, and it's totally human nature to be curious. Right, right. Exactly. We always think it's weird when someone doesn't have questions. Right. We worry about those people. Like, you should have some questions. You think that those people are just sort of backing away quietly because they're terrified Well, especially it. if it's a close friend. I'll, I'll, I've sometimes lectured a close friend if I say, like, oh, so I, I've started dating these two guys, and they just go, oh, okay. Like, no, don't give me that shit. I know that you have questions. If you said the same thing to me, I would have a million questions. Ask the fucking questions. Okay, right? so, Can I swear? So, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, so this oh, has totally. the little E next to it. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So here's the, here's my, um, the stigma that I think is the, like the biggest stigma about uh, throuples is that there's going to be a two versus one scenario. And right. that's difficult. And the one is going to feel like he's. Um, like, the third wheel. Yeah. Right. Is that, does that ever happen? We, we always say like that, that there's actually a benefit to having the three people there because there's a reason why they have judge panels in triads. It's because two people are like, we approve this legislation and one person's against it and the two are right. And so there have been times when I've been talking to my partners and they're like, no, Ian, we both think you're wrong about this. And I have to be like, all right. Like so the do you, triad do you has not decided. fight uh, uh, one against the other without the third person... Uh, no, the, we have a, we, the third too. person is the tiebreaker. Yeah. Like, you, if you two are fighting and you both are convinced you're right, what happens? The like, couple's therapist, usually. Exactly. So yeah. now, we, instead, we have this built-in therapist. I, yeah, I like, think of it like the know. appellate court. It's a yeah. built-in appellate court, and it's hard to argue when you have two people that you love and trust that say, like, oh, you know, what you said came across as harsh and mean, right. and I think that you should know that. I mean, that's the one thing that I'd say about being in a throuple that surprised me because I'm definitely the more conservative one. I was raised in a really conservative, religious, Republican, heavy part of Colorado. It was like a lot of evangelicals. And so I'm definitely more of like a traditional mindset background than Ian is per se, like who doesn't really get swept up in social mores and norms and that he can kind of easily brush those aside. And so I think um, it's just, you know, helpful to, to have the third party and before, if you had asked me, what do you want to be in a throuple before I would say that seems too complicated and it's crazy. Why would anybody want that? It's hard enough to be with one person. And after I'd say, Oh, now that I'm approaching 45, I realize like, Oh, it's so pragmatic in a lot of ways. So I'm not trying to sell somebody. And I would say like, you should definitely do this. It works for us. It worked out. It evolved this way organically. And if we are talking to friends that are of our age, they have kids, they have, they've been in a relationship for, for a long time, almost universally a reaction will be like, oh, I see the appeal. Yeah. Well, there are some obviously um, practical aspects of having three people raising kids. You have kids. By the way, your kids are what age and what age? Three, three and five. five. I, I have probably the most reservations about having kids as the three of us. Just as a psychiatrist, I thought like, 
will be judged by society? Is that the right thing to do for a child? Is this just going to look very selfish and impulsive? You know, I had wanted kids earlier in life and then I hit my almost 40 and thought like this ship has sailed. It's not going to happen. And having Jeremy come in totally changed the dynamic. It changed the balance of where I thought Ian had been kind of indifferent to, to kids. And I thought, well, I'm not going to have kids with somebody who's indifferent about it. It's a huge so, undertaking. So did, uh, did, society, did everything that you say actually happen when you had the kids? So did society really is, judgment, is judgmental towards you? Um, not that I experienced. Like Jeremy said, I mean, we live in a, in a bubble. And so I'm sure, you know, because Ian wrote his book, There's for sure, if you want to read the comment section, you know, yeah, you know, it's going to burn your corneas, but our life, our actual day to day in vivo real life, not the fakeness of social media, um, people are, you know, supportive and curious and all those things. And, you know, it was our friends and especially women who were our cheerleaders. You should be parents. You should do this. Here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to come out of the word work. I'll be your surrogate. I'll be your egg donor. You know, so it was like the generosity of women really allowed us to have kids and um all those kind of concerns and reservations i had just were real but became once i decided you know what like we're of this age we can provide for our kids you know here's all these things that we can plan and how we can do it and people are coming up stepping up to have us to help us do it like let's do it let's just jump and do it and it has been definitely hard but also like kind of easier and more fun than i thought it was going to be that might be slightly distorted I, I want to talk about um, the, the families your families so um, Jeremy you mentioned it uh, briefly but what was it like for your family to when you told them I mean when you came out basically as, as a as a thruple yeah. uh, well uh, I grew up as a pastor son of my dad was a pastor in a small town in Montana uh, so for me my parents really went through it because I came out very late in life to them. I was 30 years old when I told my parents that I was gay. And then three months after I told my parents I was gay, I met Alan and Ian. I'm like, well, <laughs> shit, this isn't gonna, I'm not gonna pile that on. And, and my parents really had a problem with me being gay. My dad, my, my dad was very supportive and just was kind of, it's not what I would have chosen, but I support you no matter what. My mom really struggled and wrote me a four page letter about how I should stop choosing to be gay. So I waited to tell them about Alan and Ian for a while until I had moved in and I really felt like, well, this is my family. And so if my biologic family cuts me off, then I can, you know, it's okay because I'm, I'm okay now. Um, and my mom did write me just a two-sentence email and said, I never want to see or talk to you again um, right after I told her about Alan and Ian. And the good thing is that I was in a position where I just – I mean, honestly, where she needed me more than I needed her. And I said, okay, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. And I'm here whenever you're ready to talk. And it took a few months and she, uh, it actually started because they were going to travel to Italy and I had been to Italy several times and they had never. So she was like, I don't want to talk about the other thing, but where should we stay in Rome and what should we see? Um, but Ian very kindly flew them out for Christmas to meet everyone. And, um, and then, you know, they really did fall in love with Alan and Ian. And then once we had kids, I mean, Our daughter is genetically mine, and my, my mom had two sons and always wanted a daughter. So, you know, grandkids really cinches yeah. the deal. It seals the deal. Yeah. <laughs> It seals the deal. Thank totally. you. Yeah. What about you, um, Alan? Alan? Let's see. I grew up in a pretty traditional family. My dad's white. My mom's Mexican origin. I mean, not from Mexico, but from, like, the New Mexico, Colorado area. Um, very Roman Catholic. Grew up 
doing like CCD and religious education, went to Catholic school initially for a little bit of time before we moved in some public school, but always in some kind of religious education. And I'm just, uh, you know, I was like a weird eccentric kid who didn't probably realize they were gay at first and was very curious and always reading and bright. And for me, um, I stopped, you know, there was a lot of questions I had about real, like about Christianity and the Bible and what people believed and, started questioning a lot and told my parents when I was probably 13, like, you know what, mom and dad, I, I don't believe this anymore. Like, I just don't think it's true. There's too many contradictions. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't want to do this. And I don't want to go to this education anymore. And they said, okay, you need to do it for one more year. And if you still feel that way after a year, then you can stop. Wow. And that's what I did. So, you know, they were still like Republican, conservative Catholics, but also my parents are super loving, friendly, warm people. And so I came out, gosh, in medical school, which is probably on the older end for now. For now, you know, compared to modern times, it's on the older end. But um, I suddenly felt like, okay, I don't think I'm going to be rejected. I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not going to like it. But came out super, you know, loving and accepting. And that was a pretty positive experience overall. Being in a throuple was coming out again, for sure. Yeah. 100%. And I had been with Ian for a long time, and they knew Ian. And so interestingly, my my mom was more like, okay, that's different. I understand. I think, you know, she was very supportive. And my dad initially was like, okay, I just struggle to see how that conforms with like fidelity in a relationship and all these kind of traditional values. And I was like, okay, this, you know, this is, this is what my life is and this is how it's going to be. Um, so that's, that's how it is. And then he kind of very quickly came around, but I was actually surprised. I thought it would be sort of opposite. I don't know what I thought. But I thought it'd be opposite. But, you know, we were also in a position kind of later in life where I just felt like I, I'm not financially dependent on my parents. I've got my own life going on. I'm too old to really care. So, you don't want, your, you want yeah. your loved ones to care about you, but, like, I, I got to live my life. Yeah. Um, and so that was a strong sense. And I also thought, because I'd been with Ian for a long time, and I felt very strongly like, oh, our life is better with Jeremy. This needs to work. I want it to work, and this is important to me. I also felt very strongly that him coming in as a third, I didn't want him to feel excluded, not part of it. I didn't want it to be like a don't ask, don't tell, or in certain situations we don't talk about it. And so, so it's like, we're going to go all in or not all in. We're going to go in and tell all our families. People will know at work. There's not going to be closeted anything about it. And that's just how it's going to be so that I can not put myself in a position that excludes him and makes him feel bad. Cause I'm not going to do that. That's not respectful. So mm -hmm. um, that's just kind of been our MO and how we do it. And I don't know, seems to be working. So that's, so when you guys, uh, when Ian and Alan, uh, you started dating other people, or did it happen? Like, how did it happen? Uh, it's just a long story. I mean, I, I had a boyfriend, my first boyfriend, the first guy I kissed. We were together for six years. And he ended up sort of deciding that he needed to date women. He had never kissed anyone or had any relationship with anyone but me. And so he told me this. He's like, I need to move on. I got to leave. And I had vowed kind of like to make his, to, to support him whatever he needed. And so I helped him and I helped him write a dating profile. I dated women and he hadn't. Right. So after that whole thing kind of blew over, I thought to myself, like, well, why did that need to happen? Like, do you have to give up something that was good and was working just because somebody feels like they need something else? And in college, I took a bunch of anthropology classes and I was thinking to myself, like, it's pretty unusual that someone is everything to somebody else. And there may be, you know, different aspects of your personality that somebody else nurtures or fills needs and stuff. And so um, 
that was just something that I kind of brought to, you know, my dating with Alan and he had needed to do some thinking about it and make sure that it was okay. And, um, we went ahead and, uh, you know, started to date some people. We kissed a number of frogs before we met Jeremy with Jeremy. It was totally different. It was like a great connection, like right away. Um, and, um, so it was, uh, so it was consciously dating. That's what you're saying. Well, I mean, we went on some dates with other people. We weren't really dating anyone ever because there mm -hmm. wasn't a good fit. Oh. And it was this, always this balance of like, is this person a, a good fit for us? Is this person a potential mate? Because if not, that's kind of a waste of time. However, if they are, it's a little bit threatening. And so when we had been together for 10 years and Jeremy joined, we wanted to make sure we weren't going to destabilize our relationship, but at the same time, make Jeremy feel welcomed and valued as part of what we were. So it was, you know, the, the key thing is lots of communication. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, where is everyone? Because, you know, when, when you introduce a, a third person, people might not catch feelings at the same time. And yeah. you have to navigate very that. stressful. The beginning of Thruppledom is very stressful. <laughs> so lots of conversations, take things slowly, talk about what your concerns are, what your needs are, let everyone know what you're feeling. Um, and, you know, we had to navigate this period of time where, like, we didn't want Jeremy to come in and feel like this was our house and he couldn't make changes or put in his own stuff. Or, you know, we had, like, his room downstairs. And we didn't want him to feel like that was, you know, he was, like, the extra person. So I've consciously told him numerous times, like, do you want to rotate where we live, basically? And he's like, I like my space. <laughs> but, you know, it's that's available because he's part of the household. He's it's triad now. It's not, there's, like, two plus one. It's not like that at all. It's three. I will take Alan's closet if that's up for grabs. <laughs> Alan's closet's really nice. It's not. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, Jeremy, I, I wanted you to talk about what, from your point of view, what was it like to date uh, Alan and, and Ian and and you know, getting into their relationship, basically. Yeah, I mean, the beginning, like I said, was stressful. I mean, there's it's fu there's fun parts like any relationship, but um, like Ian mentioned, feelings develop differently. So I met Ian online. Um, and he was my first connection, but then Alan and I are very similar in a lot of ways. So we clicked faster. So feelings develop at different times. So I, I first met Ian and he and I went to lunch and then the next day I came over here for dinner and we actually call that our anniversary because we really started dating from that first time mm -hmm. and we were basically inseparable for the last 10 and a half years since then. Um, but early on in, or a few months into our relationship, Alan was saying, I love you. And I was very touched and moved by that. But then I was like, oh, but I'm not actually sure that Ian likes me that much. And so it was just, you know, and, and Ian just kind of displays his feelings differently. And um, so the, the, the beginning is hard. There's lots of, um, especially coming in as a third to a very established 10-year-old relationship where they had careers and a house and all of the things it felt like, you know, at the beginning you feel like you're just always going to be the extra. Um, yeah, so the, the beginning is hard, but it, 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 when it, did you it, it gets better, kids. When did you feel <laughs> that uh, it's it's not like that anymore? It, there's, was there a moment when you said to yourself, okay, this is... I, I can't think of a moment, but, you know, quickly I realized that I had a strong connection to each of them and that they each had a strong connection to me. And I, at that point, phase of my life had enough self-worth to think like, oh yeah, like I, I am a catch and they like me and this is, this is a good thing. So um, I'm not sure there was like a distinct moment, but you know, they worked hard to make me feel like I was a part of their lives. And um, yeah, so, you know, we didn't do it. We didn't do things. We, we, we weren't in their first week telling all of our parents, but once we were settled and I had moved in, we kind of, you know, moved forward with our lives. So your kids are three and five. 
and um, uh, one of them's going to kindergarten. Kinder, yeah. Kindergarten. The other is in nursery school or something like preschool. that. Preschool. Preschool. I forgot. Listen, yeah, of course. Um, and, um, you know, when we went to send our kids to school, one of our considerations was, hmm, you know, what are the other kids going to say and ask? And, you know, we send our kids to a school which is extremely progressive and there are gays all over the place and what have you. But nevertheless, it was a concern. I got to imagine that the same thing's going on with you guys in your heads where you're asking yourselves, how do we prepare our kids for the questions that will be asked and how to answer them and, you know, what the scenarios might be? And what has that been like? What what have you taught your kids about the questions that will be asked and how to answer them? I'm not sure we did have that moment that you had for, I mean, I got... I put Piper's name on a preschool list when she was three months old and she started when she was two. And then I did think about like, Oh, what if, what are people going to say about us? And there's three of us. And so we did go to a very progressive preschool, which Parker is still in, but um, uh, Piper goes to a public kindergarten. So I think that at this stage in our parenting, we actually don't give a shit what other people think. And we are just like, Oh, no, we'd rather be free right down the hill. So that's where you're going. Well, right, but you may not give a shit, but what does Piper think and how will Piper experience it is more what we had in mind yeah. when we were talking about our kids. So we've just been honest with the kids from the beginning with whatever level of knowledge is appropriate for them. So what we've told them right now, for example, with Piper is, well, a doctor took a little bit of Jeremy and a little bit of Mama Megan and put you inside Mama Delilah to raise you, to keep you warm and help you grow for nine months. And then you came out. They just know the whole story. And so they're just matter of fact about it all. And it's like some people have red hair, some people black hair, some people blonde hair. It's not a big deal to them. And kids do not care. You have to teach kids to have an issue with this. And the kids yeah. that, you know, her age at the moment don't care or are not aware of it. But well, we do think that this will be a problem for our kids. We're not we're we're realistic about that and you know kids want at some point in their lives kids want to blend in. They want to be the same. And so we do recognize that this will be a problem at some point and we're not naive enough to think that it won't be. But I do think that, you know, at least the thing that is making our kids stand out is that they have extra love and these extra resources available to them. I mean, she's 5, so I'm sure we're going to weather stress and it'll be not always roses for her um i can think of like i was surprised even at our hippie progressive preschool when she i was picking her up one day and she must have been three yeah she was three because i remember thinking like oh i thought i was gonna have this conversation but when you were five i remember thinking that in my mind and she was walking and she said dada why don't i have a mommy and i looked and i thought okay this didn't come from her like did somebody ask you that baby or how did that come up? And she couldn't really at that age answer me, but then I just sort of shifted gears very quickly and said, well, baby, you do have a mommy. Remember, this is Mama Megan's your mommy and this is how you were made and this is what it is. And so you've got three daddies and she just, you know, paused for a beat and was like, yeah, okay, that's great. You know, and she accepted that and moved on. And so I think you have to be mindful of their developmental level. And so I think that birth story, origin story, all that stuff, is going to have to become more complicated and richer as she ages. But like, I also want it to be true. So I, I'm very mindful, maybe as a psychiatrist, of saying like, I'm not going to mislead her. This is what her situation is. I don't want there to be a reveal. She maybe cognitively can't take all of the history and richness and context at this age. But I want that story to be consistent and rich, get richer over time. So that's really what I'm focusing on. And so she has no problem of like, yeah, you have... 
a mommy and a daddy and I've got three daddies, you know, so she knows those things. So I don't think it will always be easy in middle school, you know, but um, I'm trying to be just uh, make sure that she's secure in her knowledge and her attachment. And that's the best I can do. But, you know, every family's got something. So that at the end of it, we've had this discussion, but like every family's got something that's stressful for the kid and it's gonna be hard. And, you know, maybe this is ours, but um, I think because, you know, as probably a lot of your listeners and you guys know being gay parents, being thruple parents, for us to have kids, most of the time it takes intention. Yeah. There's not accident kids mostly. And so we're already at this step of the game of like, we've thought about it. I've churned over it. I've tried my best. I'm, you know, I'm going to be flexible and adaptable. But like, there's a lot of thought that went in. It's not like, oops, went on a date. I didn't even really like you when I'm having a kid. <laughs> like that's just doesn't happen. And speaking about that, um, your case when uh, Piper was born, um, you guys, all three of you are registered as her parents in their birth certificates, right? That's well, right. Yes, that's right. So there's actually a very handy guidebook out there to thruppledom and thruppledom babies. So everyone should get that. It's mm-hmm. Three Dads and a Baby Adventures yes, in Modern please. Parenting. Um, and uh, that's this whole story. It's yeah. in there. But yeah, we are, to our knowledge, the first uh, polyamorous family named as the legal parents of a child anywhere in the world. Wow. And um, people are like, well, why'd you do that just to make a point? Can't you just live your life privately? We only were thinking about the benefits to the kid. And it comes down to concrete things like if Jeremy and Alan were the only legal parents and I got hit by a bus, my university pension would just evaporate. Yeah. And now that we're legal parents, it would accrue to Piper and Parker until they turn 18. Mm-hmm. So solid stuff like that and protection when we're like traveling out of country and other things, that was really the driving force behind all of it. And I'm thinking like uh, that's probably not the only, the only time you ran into a place when you have only two Place, places of parents. Um, tell me other, like, you mean example, like on, it's on cool. forms, yeah. Yeah, and, forms and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that Can, we mostly accept. Like, we don't, um, I'm not upset that there's not three lines on the parent forms. There's one thing that bothers, there's one thing where it does bother me, and I just brought this up because mm-hmm. I'm on the LGBT committee at work, that I can't get a spouse card. So at my place of employment, you can, um, if you are married or have a domestic partner, you can get a spouse card. And from, and none of us, we don't have any sort of legal ties like that. We're kind of tied through our children's and through trusts. And so it, like the state of California has acknowledged my relationship and said that you guys are a family and we're going to put your three names on a birth certificate and all that. And I can't get ones. I don't even want two. I want one spouse card for a spouse. Wait, I, I think this is an important clarification. Uh, in the state of California, certainly in the United States, I think I know where this is, but in the state of the California, you guys cannot have a marriage relationship with the three of you. Correct. Right. I see. So the, the parenting is resolved but the nature of the partnership is not from a i see okay uh, i mean it's, it's resolved um we just there isn't any polygamy in the united states right so it's it's not a legal statute thing there are lots of polygamous marriages around the world but they're all usually a man with multiple wives and frequently in, in a very um you know religious conservative environment like a traditional islamic yes. uh, setting yeah, I don't think the three of you should move to Saudi Arabia. It's just a point of view I have. We're not going to do it. <laughs> um, you guys are very open about Jeremy being the biological father of uh, of your daughter. Was that deliberate a deliberate decision of all three of you, or is that just what happened? It's just what happened. I was not 
I was no. not like, oh, I want to be the biological dad. I was a little bit like, oh, you guys are pretty hot and smart. Let's use your guys' <laughs> sperm. Um, but we we inseminated our uh, the eggs that we were able to retrieve from our donor. We inseminated them equally. And um, we had kind of talked about, after consultation from many parents that told us, oh, if you can choose, which we were going to genetically test our embryos so we would know the sex. If you want to have a boy and a girl, if you can choose, have a girl first. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we kind of settled on that. And literally we were in the elevator going up to the hospital to inseminate or to uh, impregnate our surrogate. And they called us to say, okay, you have a girl from Jeremy or a boy from Alan. What do you want to do? Ah. And so we had an uh, an elevator ride to decide, okay, well, we were going to do a girl first. So I guess we're doing Jeremy's girl. And then we froze Alan's boy and that's our son Parker. Mm. Yep. Okay. Which I just had a mess up as a parent. Because our kids know the story, you know, just today, Piper and I were telling our son Parker, like, oh, and it's so cool because you guys were pulled out of Mama Megan at the same time. But then, Parker, you were put in the freezer for three years, for two years, <laughs> and he freaked out because he just knows the freezer where the yeah. chicken nuggets are. And so he's like, I was not in the freezer. And Piper's like, no, Parker, you were in the freezer for two years. And he was like, I wasn't in the freezer, baby. Wow. And started crying. So he Aww. mentioned something about a freezer to me today and had no idea yeah, that's what, that's what, what his three year old mind was talking that's about. And I just kind of rolled with it. So just tell him that he was not in the freezer because that's what he's thinking. <laughs> You were in cryo storage. <laughs> totally right. Your version of the origin story has exceeded his cognitive abilities. <laughs> yeah, just exactly. to let you know. Exactly. As um, a psychiatrist, I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> we're going to end end it with end the interview with. Uh, I want I want you to guys to give a tip because I was talking literally this week with one of our listeners who reached out to me about he was in a throuple and they broke up. He's a dad too, and they're having. I don't want to get into his problems, but. I felt that this interview is coming to him and other listeners like him who maybe, who maybe tried it and failed. Um, and I want you guys to give your, each of you a tip to people who want to do this. Let's start with Ian. Oh, my God. So I'm going to give your friend a hug. Um, for us, like the, the key thing that I would say about that particular issue is I'm a product of divorced parents, and for me it was incredibly important that we raise our kids in a stable household and that we knew going in what was going on, as Jeremy said earlier, no oops babies here. A lot of effort and thought went into this. And for me, the biggest commitment was like, you're going to raise these kids, you're going to do what's right for them. And that comes first. And that's a great foundation to build a family on. Yeah, I would say um, that's painful and hard. And it's also the experience of many people in relationships across the globe whose relationships dissolve and you have to co-parent. Um, I think definitely there's different considerations on a more pragmatic level. Um, you know, we live a privileged life. So for us to decide to have kids, we had, I don't know, eight lawyers at some point at various stages of saying like, okay, we're, well, we're not married, but how can we do the IVF? How can we do the, how could you do all this stuff? And so we had to really plan it out. And so we also were also practical about the idea of, Hey, this may not last forever and we need to make sure our kids are taken care of. And so we, um, had a legal parenting co-parenting agreement drafted up before we ever were legal parents on a birth certificate, we didn't, that wasn't even, we didn't think that was possible at that stage. Mm -hmm. So we already have a whole legal contract drafted up of saying like, if this relationship dissolves, here's what's going to happen. Here's how we're going to parent. These are all of our attentions. You know, you can't go back because you have an acrimonious dissolution and try to say things that are different. And so, you know, that was important to all of us. So we did that 
um, ahead of time saying that's can unfortunately can just be the natural, uh, you know, course of relationship. So I think protecting yourself and being realistic, realistic about the worst case scenario. A lot of people are in denial and don't want to face that. I'd say it's easier. I think to just acknowledge what do you think is a worst case scenario plan for that? Hope yeah. for the best plan for that is my advice. Jeremy. Um, I mean, I'll give advice on, on how I feel like we're successful is I think that communication is key. We at various times have had a family therapist and three individual therapists. Um, so, you know, that's not always the case, but we've had periods of our life where that's definitely been the case. Um, and when I feel like we're doing the best is when we are communicating and we'll sometimes sit down and have our own therapy session. And, um, and so that, that's my advice on how, if anyone wants to em- enter into a polyamorous relationship, that's the thing that's the most important, I think, is talking about where everyone's at, what your goals are, what you're feeling nervous and stressed about, um, what your fears are in the relationship. And those are the things that um, just kind of being vulnerable enough to put all of that out there is what I think makes you able to navigate the, because it is difficult in a lot of ways and I think it helps you navigate it. Jeremy, Alan, Ian, you know, we want to thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. And I just want to say that listening to you um, reminds me very much of the fact that I don't know whether it was 30 or 50 years ago, um, the concept of two men openly living together and having children was absurd. Um, and we've come such a long way as a society in terms of embracing, you know, diversity, this kind of difference. And I feel like I'm hearing the same thing over again now. And it gives me a lot of hope. I really want to believe that, I don't know, 10, 20 years from now, perhaps we'll start to see that an even broader range of relationships become an opportunity for people to have loving lives with each other and also for children to be raised in even more diverse and loving families than exist today. So thank you for exposing us to that because it's really wonderful. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast with uh, Alex. Yeah, that that's me. <laughs> with Alex. <laughs> and then Jan. also, there's a Jan. Also me. Listen, I, I'm going to sold on that uh, throuple thing. Okay, but now, before we get into that, can we just focus on what's most important, though? What? What's most important is you had a doctor, a psychiatrist. Big deal. The most important thing is you had a zookeeper. And I am telling you, all I wanted to do was talk about zookeeping with him. Yet we didn't. (laughs) Um, So there's no doubt that uh, three parents are better than two. And I think that... uh, That's a pretty bold statement you just made and then tossed aside. Because, okay, it is a bold statement. And I'm saying that um, I feel that the more parents there are, the easier it is. And... And I think that the kids are, are learning from more people. There are more resources. So, I, I mean... Well, let me, let me push back. One could argue, yes, but there should only be two parents. I'm, I'm not one of them, but I'm just saying, the argument could be made, a child also needs to know that this is my father and that 
is my father, and there aren't sixteen others. And I, so I disagree. I don't know why. Why you can see like three fathers? Well, okay. I mean, what if it's four? What, what, what if, if it's six? Yeah. What if it's four? I what don't. If, what if your parents got divorced? Yeah. And uh, each of them got married. Right. They married. I, so it's I four. hear you. Although, so I, what does it matter? I don't know. I think we should probably ask a child psychologist about the question of what happens if a child feels like they don't know who the sort of nuclear family I think, is. I think you're looking at it as if it's not what it is. It is a relationship. Right. It's just that instead of them being a sep two separate houses or separate places, it's like all in one place, which is great. So I, I, don't, I don't understand. I want to be in a throuple. Oh, you want to be in a throuple? Yes. What is this? Is okay. this for everybody to listen? Yes, and somebody everybody, to we're auditioning. We're auditioning. First of all, that's awfully uh, arrogant of us to act as if they all want to line up to be part of this shit show. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if, you, if you're considering joining us as a thruple, run for your life. That is clear. I hope they're not uh, offended that we, we just said that. But well, they must know that this is something that people are talking about, and, yeah. it's, and it's a valid thing to I, talk about. I think about. so, too. And, and you know, I also thought about like going back from there and hearing what Alan said about his family um, and about what Jeremy said about his family. And I think that there's still going to be this judgment and people who don't understand that. The line is ultimately about people's support for one another and love for one another. If three people can get together, love each other, raise a family together in what is, and this is important, an ultimately stable environment, I'm all for it. It's not absurd. I'm going to tell you what I think the stigma is around that, and especially like maybe even more in the gay community because we were like sex driven and stuff like that. Um, the fact that, you know, when you talk about thruple, you talk about threesomes and right. people would say, okay, so you can have your threesomes. Why making it um, permanent? Uh, permanent. Yeah. Like a way of life. <laughs> right. Um, yes. Well, that's, I think pretty much a misunderstanding of what this is because again, it's the difference between a family and a sex act. Right? Yeah. So, sure. If and you want to have I, an orgy... I can tell you what, what was the most appealing to me about this whole thing is that our situation when we live in LA so far away from our family and um, we don't have as many friends and we wanted to yeah. and we don't have as many time as we wanted to and the core family for them is bigger and, you know, therefore much yeah. more... Um, opportunities come come along through each each one of them, well, and I, and I, I kind of like it. Well, I think, again, that's sort of the lens through which we should be looking at these things, because if it is okay for a, a straight married couple to have one of their mothers living in their house with them and being in the, the house right next to where their brother lives, et cetera, et cetera, and that is the village that they have created, then you do have to scratch your head and say, why does it matter that three adults that are raising children are all in a romantic relationship with each other? Yeah. And I don't think it necessarily does. By the way, none of this is to say that I get it. 
because I'm not sure I do. I'm oh, not sure. Talk about this. I'm not sure I, so, I would understand how this third person would work in the relationship that Jan and I have with each other, but that okay. doesn't mean I should close my mind That's to really it. a good segue to uh, what I want to talk about uh, next uh, uh, in regards to that issue. And I want to apologize to, uh, to Ian, Alan, and, and Jeremy if, if you feel that we're analyzing you too much. It's just that coming out of this interview made me think a lot. And one of the things that I thought about is comparing, and I apologize again that I'm doing that, but I couldn't not to, compare between their relationship and other throuples that I uh, came across okay. uh, throughout my life. Because that, to me... How many throuples have, have you come across? At least three. Wow. It's um, nine. Including me being in, at one for like a week. Before you I were in you. a throuple for, for a week? like a week. Okay. I don't know. It just didn't work immediately. So, uh, you sure it wasn't just someone visiting <laughs> from out of town? <laughs> um, so I was thinking what made it work, like what I saw there it really, it really works. And, um, I came away with three things. Okay. So the first thing, and they said it is the communication. And it's very clear that the communication uh, between them is uh, is a very high level and they pay really a big attention to it. And I think maybe part of it is because one of them is a psychiatrist. Yeah. yeah. So he knows how to um, communicate. And the fact that they mentioned that they went to... Um, to a therapist, like a, a, they mentioned it throughout the interview. Can't call them a couple's therapist though, can uh, you? Yeah, I don't know. Um, so I think that any 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 form of relation, relationship therapy uh, really helps because yeah. it helps for two. So any, any like you need it even for one. Okay, that was the first. The second one is that the seriousness of the commitment. And then I thought about what's the difference between like an ongoing trick that a couple has with somebody and right. this. Okay. There's a lot of, like I saw between the three of them, a lot of what you and I have. So it's just adding another person to the dynamic right? and the depth of the dynamic that you and I have and the depth of the commitment that you and I have. That we said to ourselves, okay, we're going to stay in this relationship. Right. And now how can how can we make That's it right. Work? From the foundation of we are committed to each other yeah. and we're going to stick it out even when it sucks. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The third thing is the fact that they say that Jeremy is the biological uh, father of their daughter is – this caused me a lot, a lot of thought because Alan and Ian were together before that and then they made Jeremy – and and he joined right. And by the fact that he joined, he's already kind of supposedly the the third wheel, the third right? wheel, right? It's, it, at least at the beginning, it may may have uh, seemed like that. But they gave him the the special some, place of uh, yeah, being the, the biological yeah. father of their child. Yeah, yeah. By by having him being the biological father, and I think that if that's by itself like brings you really in and yeah. shows the shows how much. They they really cared for for him and um and I think that it has a key point in the in how he see the acceptance of the the couple right. that was was there before him. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot about uh, the acceptance of the third one, which yes. I think it's a should be a bigger issue. Well, I think that that's actually really really fascinating and important because I'm going to guess that very few throuples come together. 
um, spontaneously, where yeah. three people who don't know each other suddenly become partners with each other. I assume two people become partners and then, then a third one joins. And you're right. That represents a dynamic that those of us in um, couple relationships aren't familiar with because two people can only meet each other, yeah. right? So, yeah, that is that's yeah, really Somebody was there before right. and somebody came later. And I think that how do you solve that dynamic in a way that really creates still some sort of inequality yeah. between the three? So I, again, I'm not analyzing you guys. It's just that, <laughs> um, just what I thought after after um, I left the interview. And um, and that's also Three Men and a Baby. It's now all in a book uh, by Ian Jenkins. It's now available on Amazon. And there's a link on our episode page if you want to buy it and read it. Excellent. This is Men Having Babies Corner. Uh, Men Having Babies Corner. Today we're going to talk about, so it's the last corner uh, for the season. Yeah. Um, and to, today we're going to talk about ethical surrogacy. Alan from Men Having Babies is going to talk about this. Uh, let's hear it first. All right. Um, over the past decade, Men Having Babies has worked really hard uh, to engage in and not only engage in, but lead these dialogues about ethical surrogacy. And a lot of the questions started out with like, is surrogacy an acceptable way to build a family for gay men? How can we do this ethically and in such a way that might be beneficial for all of the parties involved? And then most importantly, the question that a lot of us asked was, how can I go through this process and then at the end of it, be able to look my child in the eyes and talk to them about this and be confident that the decision that we made to build our family this way was one that didn't cause harm. For example, we believe that women everywhere should have the right to decide when, how, and under what circumstances they agree to help intended parents by donating eggs or by carrying a baby for them. That for us is a standard of ethical surrogacy, that that autonomy should be a woman's choice. And one of the things that came out of that was the Men Having Babies Framework for Ethical Surrogacy for Intended Parents. And that is a framework that really talks in detail about what ethical surrogacy looks like, um, what some of the definitions are of what the, the concepts in ethical surrogacy might be. Um, there's an idea for working with uh, the agencies and what the expectations of an intended parent can be with that respect. And then all sorts of information about what's the right way to do this and why. So it really is a deep dive about the ethics and it also serves as guiding principles for those parties that are involved uh, to make decisions and to make sure that they're following a set of standards so that we are able to look our children in the eyes after the fact and know that we've made our best effort and succeeded in doing this ethically without causing harm. For more information, go to menhavingbabies.org. So I do think that one thing that all of you should do who are starting down the path of surrogacy um, is when you are speaking to an agency, ask them about men having babies ethical surrogacy framework and whether or not they are signed on to it, whether they are participants in it. Because that's a shorthand way of knowing whether they are following the kind of policies and principles that are about protecting women uh, in this process. Yeah, and the, the framework document is now available at uh, menhavingbabies.org. Um, I want to move on. So um, one of the things I wanted to solve with you on the podcast yeah. while we're on air 
is involving our kids in our obsessions. Now, why, ah. why do I say that? Oh, it's good. Because uh, it's starting, now it's March already, and uh, Eurovision season is starting. And yes. as you guys know, I am obsessed about the Eurovision Song Contest, as I am about Kylie Minogue. Both of those things are things that are kind of part of me in a way that the kids already interested. I mean, not so much in Kylie, but Eurovision, they're interested to know like who's representing which country. Um, but that and, distinction and, is important in answering your question about obsessions. And, and why, do, why do I raise that? Because Alex is uh, kind of saying to me that I'm like brainwashing the kids. While I don't think that I'm doing this, all that I do is that I'm just being myself. No, let me, uh, I need to clarify and come to my okay. own defense. Okay. Um, when I said you were brainwashing the children, um, I said it with joy because I deemed it to be proof that you were wrong before the children were yeah. born and I was right. By which I mean, um, I believe that Jan said before we brought children into the world that there are certain things he would never do and that one of them would be brainwashing them into you know liking a certain kind of music or whatever. What I'm saying is, it's a great thing. Brainwashing is what it's all about. In fact, brainwashing. I, I still disagree. Is, I, all right, but because oh. first of all, I don't think that I brainwash them. I just yes, you do. I, no, but I was being myself. I. What do you want me not to listen to your? You were before? you were being yourself if yourself was the head of a cult. Uh, so look, listen. I'm actually really serious about this. Brainwashing is. This is what we do. Our children. Wait, let me. Our children live in our house. They don't see as many, I mean, they go to school and they have other, you know, friends and stuff like that, but we are their primary source of information and experience. If there is anybody who is in a position to call it brainwash, to uh, indoctrinate their children into something, it's us. And I think that's a great thing, and I'm very happy about it. There's a it. difference between, um, so you say brainwashing and the difference between uh, what I meant when I say I will never and what I'm doing right now. I was listening to Eurovision and Kylie songs when the kids were babies and I made, I, and I danced to them because I, what can I do? Like I had to pass time and be with them and all. Now they grew up and they see me do that and they ask questions, so I answer. But it's not like I'm forcing them to watch that. I didn't say anything about forcing. Look, here's the thing. Um, Jan, Jan has planted the seeds of Eurovision and Kylie Minogue. Eurovision, at least for one of our kids, has blossomed like crazy. Kylie Minogue, not so much. That same child is like, yeah, sure, Kylie, whatever. Uh, but if he has music choices to make, he does not choose Kylie. On the other hand, boy, does he choose Eurovision. He will sit there and watch that stuff, right? Yeah. Well, so here's what and I mean. you remember years and countries and-, and yeah, yeah, it's a freak show. But here's the thing. Um, forcing him to watch Kylie Minogue would be wrong now. I'm with you, right? Or listen to her or whatever and saying like, no, this is what you will do. This is what you will love. That's not the right way to go. But that's different from saying, I'm going to expose the child not only to the thing, but to my love of the thing. And I have a belief that his observation of your joy and passion in the thing is the critical aspect. In other words, it's not enough to sort of set your child free on things and say, hey, what do you like and what don't you like? It's not enough. What they have to do is they have to see what makes you crazy. And when they do, that might be very much part of what kindles their passion as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
I'm just interested to know if you guys have some sort of obsession that you forwarded to your child, yeah. if I could say. Um, Hello. Hello at daddysqr.com. Please write us about this because we really love this topic. Yeah. Daddysqr.com. Before we go, I would like to talk about our committee. So we formed recently a committee of imperfect parenting on Instagram. This is a group of dads who are willing to be authentic and vulnerable even when things are not so great. I love committees. I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Part of the reason why we did that is, uh, of course, influenced by the show, the TV show that we participated in. Well, I can tell you that we were talking about um, gay dad stereotypes. One of our previous episodes, we talked about that. So Alex is going to read to you two of the things that dads from our committee said in regards to stereotypes of gay dads. The first one is what Rick said. So Rick is a, is a dad. Um, he was married to a woman, had kids, and then he came out uh, when his kids were, were teenagers. And his view on gay dad stereotype was really interesting. Alex, can you read that, please? I guess the biggest gay dad stereotype I see is that we as gay dads have to appear as the perfect family that gay dads on Instagram perpetuate and feel to the need to put out there to people. I think this is actually part of a defense mechanism that we already have that comes from earlier stages in our lives where we had the need to defend our sexuality and defend our equality. And we're bringing that same thing to bear on the way we're perceived by others. Yeah, and, and I think that... Um That's kind of the original reason why I wanted to create that committee um, because the the answers that these dads give to me it's like they're real answers yeah. and and I really like um, their point of view and we're going to continue to hear from them on Instagram at daddy sqr um, the second one that I wanted to talk about uh, is Frankie um, and Frankie talked about the good the Stereotypes, which is something that we didn't really talk about in the, yeah. in the episode. And uh, Alex, would you read us? Sure. Please? We watch our straight friends struggle with splitting up family chores like cooking and cleaning. And these jobs almost always fall on the woman in the family, even when they are the breadwinners. My female friends complain to me about how their husbands uh, do not pull their weight and that there is a huge divide between perceived gender roles. Yeah. Oh, listen, we know all about that. Yeah, and we, we also had, the, it reminded me kind of the mom roles episode yeah. uh, that we talked about. What is, what is the mom role and what is the definition yeah. of, of gender roles and um, how, you, how you do these roles without being a woman? Look, you know, I make this joke all the time uh, to the point that my husband hates it uh, on this podcast and elsewhere about how, you know, uh, heterosexuality had its run, but it's over now. And, you know, it's, 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 it's our turn and all that kind of stuff. And of course I'm joking. And of course I don't believe that there is a uh, superiority in gay relationships. That would be ridiculous. But, but there is something special about gay relationships and that is they're new. until you know 15 20 years ago in America you didn't have gay men walking around as couples outwardly for the whole world to see and having children and that change is radical well what that does is not only change things for us the gay couple it also opens the door for straight relationships and Where straight couples can scratch their heads and say well wait a minute those two men live their relationship in such a way that they're sharing all of the household chores maybe we can do the same thing so I actually think that that's one of the positive uh, sort of features of 
new types of relationships that have come out over the last 10, 20 years is that they can open the door for those discussions for all the straight people too. Um, so uh, that's just a, just a taste of what you can read on Instagram at Daddy SQR from our um, Committee of Imperfect Parenting. And I want to thank again all these dads who are sharing their lives with us. And if you want to join the Imperfect Parenting Committee, you can write to us at hello at daddysqr.com or on Instagram at daddysqr. Just remember, though, that if you are actually a perfect parent, you are not welcome. <laughs> And that's it for today. So uh, next uh, next time is the, the season finale. Wow, of season da, five. Da, 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 da. Yeah, that's a big deal. Fanfare. <laughs> um, and confetti cannon. And until then, I'm Jan. I'm Alex. And we're Daddy Squared. See you soon. Bye bye, guys. Bye.